Well, good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas. I hope you guys had an absolutely fantastic week this last week of uh, Christmas tidings and good cheer. I hope you had a good time with your family. I hope you had a good time with friends. I hope you didn't eat too much. I kind of, actually, I don't agree with that. I hope you ate a lot. Um, I hope you really just had a good time, and I hope that everything you got for Christmas was everything you ever wanted, and, um, and then some, and then maybe you can return everything else later. Um, but I really do hope that you had a fantastic time. I know that this week was really fun for us. Um, this was actually kind of my family's first functional um, first Christmas for my daughter. Uh, my daughter's just over a year old. Her birthday is in December. Her name is Ainsley. And it was so fun to just watch her experience this so new, so fresh. You know, she's just excited about everything and the cardboard boxes are what she likes, right? Just like every little kid. Um, but she just was a blast. And it was so fun because this is new for my whole family because on both sides, she's the first granddaughter. And so grandma and grandpa and grandma and grandpa and all her aunts and uncles. And now we even have um, a new nephew. He's four months old and he got to be a part. I mean, what a fun Christmas for us just to uh, see the family connect um, in ways like they never have before because of these little babies. It was such an absolute blast. Ainsley is... Um, you know, in the middle of us, you know, having fun and then eating food and then uh, opening gifts and eating food and, you know, just enjoying the company of one another and eating some more food. Uh, You know, Ainsley is just crawling around like a bumper car without boundaries. She's just everywhere at any time. It doesn't matter. She's pulling herself up. She's standing. She'll just stand there for a second because she's got the balance thing down now, you know. But let me tell you something. Uh, The worst way that a baby can stand up is by finding her dad's leg hair and grabbing a hold and then pulling up like this. Oh, oh, let me tell you, I didn't know someone a 12th my size could bring me to my knees quite like that, but that is pain, almost like I've never known it before. But it's adorable. Okay, so, but it's just been fun to watch her grow, fun to watch her experience this. And um, I'm even already pumped for next Christmas, especially just because of her, you know, the things, the, the syllables that she's saying now as those turn into words and phrases. And next year she'll be reading the Christmas story to us, I'm sure. Um, you know, it's just going to be fun to watch all of that blossom. And I can't wait to see how this next year unfolds. It's just going to be an absolute blast. But we've, um, you know, there's other feelings that we have with Christmas too. And, you know, we've been in this series uh, called Joy to the World, talking about all the different ways in which Jesus impacts us and helps us take joy to the world. But the Christmas season has lots of emotions tied to it, does it not? I mean, there's a lot of exciting things and we get pumped about being together with family or our friends or gifts and giving them and receiving them and all these different things. But then Christmas is over. And like yesterday, it all began, right? Like the sales are now up and everything's on liquidation. And Mandy and I take full advantage of that. I don't think we've bought a full price Christmas decoration in about 10 years. Like this is when to buy trees, lights, and wreaths, people. Like now is the time. And we take full advantage of that and we love doing that. Um, But, you know, everything else, it kind of blows up. Like some of us are pondering, like, can I get away with my tree being up till July? You know, like, is that okay? Can I leave the Christmas lights up? No one's going to notice, right? You know, some of us, maybe we already cleaned up and everything's already packed away in the attic. And some of us are just really glad it's over. We're gritting our teeth. If we hear one more Christmas song, what's going through our head is, your iPhone's gonna get run over by my Honda. You know, you're like, just get this out of my head, right? And you're ready to move on. 
but there's so much that can be wrapped into the emotions that we experience at Christmas. And there's this craziness. This, it's almost like post-Christmas can be just as crazy as leading up to Christmas. And it's just nuts, 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 move, move, move. And everything flows into one. And then we're here and we're trying to slow down. And we can't even like catch our breath sometimes as we start, oh my gosh, the New Year's here and I thought it was still February and what do we do next? Well, it's okay because this actually is not the first crazy Christmas. As a matter of fact, the first Christmas was pretty crazy too. And that's what I want to kind of look at today. I want to kind of look at how this first Christmas can show us a bunch of things about how to navigate this time. And so um, why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles. Um, We're going to go to the Gospel of Luke. And so this is just a couple of books in for you in the New Testament. Uh, There's a a Bible in front of you if you want to use that one. You can also follow along on our app. And so you can open up the notes there and a live tag along. And uh, you can take notes with us and you can read along with the Bible. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verse 19 through 21. And this is right after all of the kind of like traditional Christmas story is wrapping up. And it starts here in verse 19. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Now let's start here with the shepherds, right? Because the shepherds are just doing their shepherd thing, and then all of a sudden all these angels appear, and they talk about this king, this baby that's been born, that's going to be the Messiah, the one that saved the world. And then they like have to go back to work on Tuesday, Right? Like they have to show back up and they have to like put in their time card and like punch in and punch out. And they have to talk to the other shepherds that weren't on shift that night, you know. And they're chatting about, you know, hey, how was your weekend? What'd you do, bro? How all these things? You know, that's how shepherds talk. You know, and they're talking like through all these things. And then they finally like get down to like, well, what'd you do this weekend? And they're like, well, crazy you should ask, right? Because um, the, the, these angels showed up and um, they were started to talk to us, and then they like sang a lot, and it was loud and the most beautiful. And they talked about this baby, well, a king, but he's still a baby. And then like we showed up to this like cave-looking place where these animals. Don't worry, there was a cow. It was cool, and like just trying to somehow explain like the craziness of what they just experienced to like Joe at the office, right? Like. I can't imagine how these shepherds are trying to not make this like a ho-hum, tweedledum type of thing that they're sharing, but they're trying to really explain it. The passage even says they were glorifying God. They were trying to talk about the greatness of what this was and what God was doing, and they were praising God. They were trying to show the goodness and how excited they were of what God was doing, but in a way that resonates with the people that didn't experience it yet. So there's this craziness of what they did. But then what did Mary and Joseph do, you know, the days after Christmas? Well, they took the baby to the doctor. You know, it says that on the eighth day they had the, the baby circumcised, and then they named his, him Jesus. So they, like, literally took him to the doctor's office and then, like, got his paperwork filed. Like, that was the kind of stuff that they were doing the days after Christmas. They're doing that little bit of... I've just got to get the details handled because we just had a baby stuff. I remember because since our daughter Ainsley's only a year old, I remember what a lot of those first days in that first week looked like for us. Like, here's a little insight into the life of Mandy and Joseph. 
See what I did there? All right. Anyway, so the life of Mandy and Joseph, as we were navigating our first child, I remember how many questions I had about everything, right? I remember looking at her like, is she breathing? Is she, is she breathing? And then you see that little belly go, Woof. And like, okay. And then like two minutes later, like, is she breathing? Right? You keep going back. And then you ask like, did she eat enough? You know, is, is she doing number one and number two enough? Because the nurses and the doctors, they make you tally those things and you're counting those. And you're like, I never had this much stuff all over me, but whatever. Like all dignity goes out the window during this time. Like I'm normally a kind of a prideful person. It's not my best quality, but like, if you want to help, I'm like, no, nah, I think I got it. But during this week or so, it's like, oh, can we help out? Can we clean? Can we cook? It's like, yes, uh, you can come over and see me in all my filth and you can help all that you want. I think I wore the same pair of sweatpants straight for a week. Like it was a non-dignified time because you're just trying to figure out what's normal and what's not and what's allowed to happen. Well, Mary and Joseph are having all the same conversations. Like they just started their new life together. They just had their first baby. They're trying to figure out like, hey, is the son of God still breathing? You know, like they're asking these questions. You know, they're trying to figure out how do we manage parenting a child? And on top of that, they had all the craziness of what we know as the first Christmas. Like, if you weren't those close friends or family offering help, I didn't want you coming over to my house and see me in the same pair of sweatpants, all that stuff all over me, right? Like, it's like back off. But Mary and Joseph, like, they got these, like, scrubby, dirty shepherds coming in from the field, and they're like, yeah, some angels told us that you had a kid. Can I hold them? You know, it's like, this is kind of nuts, you know, that we would even think about, wow, like Mary and Joseph, as they're figuring this out, have all these people showing up. And how crazy that would be. You know, they're taking their sleep shifts, they're sleeping next to animals. And after they do that, they have to start packing up because the whole reason they were in Bethlehem is because they had to travel back to the hometown to pay taxes and to be counted as a part of the census. They had to go back there, so they're, they're packing up their stuff and they're getting ready to go. And then the craziness of what was actually happening on the political scene is the ruler of the time actually caught wind that a baby was born that was going to be the king of kings. Well, And as a ruler, he got jealous. And he decided that every child under a certain age needed to be killed. So God told Mary and Joseph, I need you guys to flee to Egypt. And so imagine Mary and Joseph, new parents, newborn, hopping on a donkey, and riding from Israel to Egypt. And you thought car carriers were bad for babies. Like, I cannot imagine what it's like to travel with a newborn on a donkey, okay, let alone for days and weeks at a time. This is the craziness of what's going on. And I honestly think it's a little bit of a mental paradigm that we need to be willing to kind of shift with, that we need to understand that the life of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph had a lot of that normalcy to it. And it also had a lot of that craziness to it. And I think now when we see that in the beginning of that passage we just read where it says Mary treasured up all these things and we ask the question, treasured what? What is it that Mary treasured up? Well, not only is she treasuring up the normal emotions of being a new mom, she's like, man, isn't this awesome? And she's just, she can't believe how much in love she is with this new baby. But she's also looking back and realizing all the stuff that God had done. I want to encourage you in the near future, sometime this week, or maybe even we want to flip back now, to look through Luke 1 and 2. And to maybe even flip back a couple of books into the book of Matthew 
and read in chapters one and two there about these initial moments, these initial months of leading up to Jesus's birth and the moments after, because there's so much that happened in and around the life of Mary that she would definitely be treasuring. As we look at how this story unfolded, there was things like the angelic message that came to Mary's cousin to say, hey, I know you haven't been able to have a child, but you're going to have one. And as a matter of fact, his, your child is actually going to be the one that now points to the Savior. And then she got a visit from an angel and said, hey, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a virgin birth. You're going to have a baby that's going to be the king of kings, the one that is the son of the most high. That's going to be God's son, the Messiah sent. You're going to have that child. Then the shepherds, the random guys, the yo bro, those guys, they get this random message and they show up. And I can only imagine Mary going, so this is like legit. Like God's going to tell people about my son and like something's going to really happen here. Like something's going on. The fact that Mary and Joseph found a place to stay before they had the baby. Like they're going back to Bethlehem, the whole no room in the inn thing. Like where do I sleep? And they found a place to settle down and relax as she's going into labor to have the baby. Like the fact that God's promise of a miracle birth happened. Like you're going to have a baby. What? And it shows up and here's the baby. And then, of course, the fact that Joseph stayed with her. I can only imagine how that initial conversation went. Like, hey, honey, um, I'm pregnant, and I promise I didn't cheat on you. Like, how that conversation went, the fact that Joseph stayed with her all the way back to these angelic messages. Like, Mary is treasuring all these things in her heart. Like, oh my gosh, look at all that's happened Look how all of this has unfolded. Look at what is actually going on right before our eyes. This is nuts. And then when we look in Luke 1, so if you flip a chapter back from where we started, in Luke 1, verses 32 and 33, it says this. The angel's telling Mary, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. He will reign Uh, Excuse me, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary certainly remembers and has treasured this promise of who her son would be. The promised greatness of Jesus and the things that he would do, the things that he would be about, these months leading up to his birth and the couple of weeks after were only the beginning. This was not a one-and-done moment for Mary and her family. This was the end of normal and the beginning of something supernatural. There was more to come. There was a promise. And as she looks at all of these things that she has now treasured, she's probably thinking to herself, holy cow, what's about to happen? So then the second part of that verse 19 there back in Luke 2, it says then that Mary pondered them in her heart. As she was looking back at all these incredible events, I guarantee she couldn't help but look ahead. That Mary was absolutely in wonder of what was taking place and starting to think, what's to come? What's it going to be like to parent the Son of God? What's it going to be like to see how this little baby grows up 
and becomes the man that the angel promised, that his kingdom would never end. What is it like that he would actually become the baby of babies, the king of kings, and that he would change everything everywhere, that he would bring, quite honestly and literally, joy to the world? And what would it be like for her to one day to kind of turn around and begin to look at him as her savior? These are the things that I think like she's pondering, she's treasuring, she's storing up. I can only imagine as she's writing things down, as she's, as she's riding a donkey down to Egypt, like, oh my gosh, what did I just get myself into? Oh my gosh, what did God just allow me to be a part of? She's pondering the fact that she gets to watch this little baby turn into the promised one of God. So she's treasuring all that's happened and realizing, oh my gosh, this is only the beginning of what's possible. Now I think back to this Christmas for me and Mandy and Ainsley and even us as a church, and I kind of want to ask, what am I treasuring? Like, what do I look back over this Christmas season like that moment was incredible. I am loving how our family is gelling in and around this little baby. I'm loving what our family is becoming. I'm loving what God is allowing us to experience. I'm excited for the future. What are those things? And I ask myself, what are some of those highlights? But also, what are some of the lowlights? What are some of the things that were absolutely nuts this Christmas season where you know, I, I forced myself to have that awkward moment with, with a brother or you forced yourself to have that awkward conversation with your mom or you just, you're like, I can fake a smile long enough to get through this. And we start to really push through. This is a season and we look back and we're like, yep, that's what Christmas is about. That's what I do at Christmas. There's these good things. There's these awkward things. There's these hard things, but that's what the season's about. I just need to push through. That's just Christmas. And as we look back and we take account of all of these things that we treasure or that we're glad or that way, whatever it might be, what are those things that we would write down that we're like, you know what, this holiday, this was very special to me. This was very important. We can get to this point where like it's just Christmas and I don't think that's a place that we want to land. I don't think that the holidays were ever meant to be just a holiday as we connect with these family gatherings, as we get together with friends, as we see the uncle that we haven't seen forever, as we finally muscle through and sit down with mom and dad, as we, as we engage, or again, as we just enjoy the time together, Christmas was meant to be more. Just like the baby Jesus was going to be more. That there was a future to look to. There was a hope to engage. Christmas was never meant to just be wrapped up and put away on a shelf. Just like Mary treasured this first season, if we engage our relationship with Jesus, if we engage what he's actually trying to get a hold of us with in Christmas, then this won't be a one and done moment for us either. It will be the end of normal and it can be the beginning of something supernatural with God. Don't get me wrong, I think Christmas brings a lot of clarity. I think it can help bring a lot of priority. I think it's time to enjoy some family. I think it's time to treasure that. But life was always meant to be so much more intentional and meaningful than just a couple of moments around a holiday. 
I don't know where sometimes we've lost the idea that at the beginning of the season we're thinking to ourselves, it's all about joy and peace and goodwill toward men. And then somewhere in the middle of December, it transitions into like just high heart rate, fast pace, got to do this, my schedule's booked, oh my gosh, to the point where we come out of Christmas and we're like, man, I'm kind of glad it's done. Like, let's move on, next thing. I don't know where we did that, but, and I know that the emotions of Christmas are impossible to maintain, but what if we were able to catch some of that mindset that exists for us in the euphoric moments of Christmas? The ones that reflect the promises of who Jesus is. The ones that reflect the highlights of our holiday. And what if we can grab those mindsets and now actually take them further and say, what if these relationships could happen long-term for the long run over the next weeks, months, and year. I think if there's any chance that we can take this mindset forward, it's going to take three different things, three different attitudes that we can adopt and adjust and begin to move forward. So let's take a look at these mindsets, because I think if we ask ourselves these questions, we can do something pretty special post-Christmas. The first question, the first attitude is, How can I have the mindset of connecting? As I think about what it means to connect with people, connect with family, I've been asking myself, what do I need to reach out to the people in my life on a more regular basis? Is there a gift I need to give somebody just because, and it's not attached to the obligation of a holiday? Is there a phone call I need to make and someone that I need to talk to 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 burst through them? Well, I guess we have to have this conversation because it's Christmas. And like, no, like, I actually wish there wasn't this crazy tension between you and I. Is there anything we can reconcile and maybe build something, a connection out of that? Is there time that we need to spend with somebody? What if we were committed to actually impacting those people inside our direct circles of influence? What if we were willing to actually connect with people on a regular basis instead of just saying, yeah, 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 the holidays... That'll be good win. I think the second mindset shift we have to make, so we have to make the connection, but is now, how can I keep an attitude of love? One of the most fun things to watch during the Christmas season is how the, the level of compassion just starts to rise kind of crazily. You know, people start to get excited about whether it's giving to charity or giving something to their family members or whether it's giving, giving, giving. Like, people get so generous. Tons of organizations love December year-end giving because it's that, it's that Christmas season, right? It's that opportunity to connect with people and love them and serve them. But honestly, whether it's your neighbor or whether it's the people all around the world, We need more than a little bit of Christmas cheer if we're actually going to spread the truth of the love of Jesus. If we're going to help people understand what it means to be loved by God, what it means to be loved by his people, then we need more than just a Christmas season. A friend of mine just showed me a very interesting way to kind of look at the needs around the world and what this would look like. And he said that, you know, if if the earth's population was shrunk down to 100 people, okay? But all the same ratios of socioeconomics and all those kind of things were the same. Now we are a village of 100 people. This is what the world would look like. 
when it came to people groups, 57 of these 100 people would be Asian. 57 of those 100. 21 of those 100 would be European. 14 of them would be from the Western Hemisphere. That's both North and South America would be 14 of those 100. And then eight of those 100 would be African. And poor Australia, it's not even on the map because they wouldn't even percentage-wise be one, right? And then Antarctica, but, you know, we know no one lives there, okay? But we have to understand what the world actually looks like because we can be, well, it's just us. And, of course, then we realize that 52 of these 100 would be female. 48 of them would be male. 70 of these 100 people would be non-white, and 30 of them would be. We see the demographic shifting in ways you're like, wow, when it's only 100 people, this actually changes things. Then we look at six people. Six of the 100 would possess 50% of the entire world's wealth. Six of the 100. And all six of those people would be from the United States. 80 of the 100 people would live in substandard housing. 70 of those 100 people would not be able to read. 50 of those 100 people would suffer from malnutrition. One would be near death. One would be near birth. One, yes, one, would have a college degree. And one would have a computer. We have to understand the world in which we live and the need that's out there. Now, here's the last one. 30 of the 100, and this is, might be even overshooting in a tad, 30 would be Christian, and 70 would be lost without the hope and the message and the love of Jesus. They don't have the hope of the life that's found in Christ if we're going to make any dent in these numbers, the physical things, the emotional things, the spiritual things, if we're going to make a difference, then a little bit of Christmas during the holidays is not going to take it where it fully needs to go. We have to be willing to engage the love and the compassion that Jesus offers us on a regular basis. People desperately need to know Jesus. What about the city the other ten and a half months out of the year? What about the widows that we want to help in February when they're snowed in? What about families in need when they're struggling in the summer months? What about the situation around the world when we have an opportunity to either give, to be praying diligently, or to go to these places? We have to take that love farther than just Christmas. The third mindset I want to challenge us all to grab is how can I live a life of hopefulness? You know, this time of year, we start to think about goals, and we start to think about resolutions, and we start to think about, I need to fix this, I need to change this, what if I could make this different? But so often, those goals are personal. They're about us. And this is actually the easy way to set goals. Whenever we set any kind of goal that only impacts ourselves, that's easy. 
but it's the goals where we might accidentally impact someone else that are hard but are worth it and that are life-changing and that are now something that we can be intentional about doing. I hope that we can change from goals that are about our waistline and our wallet and that we can actually move to goals that are about helping people embrace the hope and the freedom that's in Christ. We need to sit down and we need to write down, who am I going to help understand the message of Jesus better this year? Who am I going to help disciple so that they can experience the love of Jesus beyond just the holiday? Again, these practical goals of money or your weight, they're easy. By sitting down and saying, I want to impact other people. I want to help change the dynamic of my family. I want God to use me in my community. I want God to use me around the world. Now we're talking about goals that are much more complicated, but things that we wish would happen that would never happen on accident. If we're not intentional about building those relationships, about engaging those realities, then we will never see those things change, but we'll never see the hope change like we want to. Just a few weeks ago, if you go back in our series, we talked about this idea that we are the priesthood. And if we want to see the world have a slightly different face on it, if we want our family to have a different attitude about it when we get together, then we have to be intentional about these things. You see, Christmas is not about a moment. It's not about a holiday. It's not about one dinner one time a year where we all fake it around the room. And it's not about even the euphoria of Christmas morning when we're all getting along in ways that we never dreamed possible. It's about treasuring the things that Jesus teaches us and shows us in the moments of Christmas. It's about being excited about remembering those, what those feelings look like. The fact that we can make it through the awkward conversation and we really do enjoy it when we get together with the people we love. And putting those things together and saying, you know what? What if this happened all the time? What if we took those mindsets somewhere much further? So this week, as we kind of re-engage life, as the hustle comes back and we suddenly have our to-do list back and we're trying to navigate the weeks and the months, when your friends just want to get together and they want to kind of do the normal, like, hey, you just want to hang out, you want to chill, you want to do whatever, and we start to forget about what just happened. When the kids want to go back to the store because they need a new model of the toy you just got them for Christmas, or they want to exchange something that you thought was the perfect gift, or they just start to get lost in their normal routine. When your mom says the wrong thing again, when dad hurts your feelings, when your brother ignores you, when you go to make your New Year's goals, when you're making the split-second decisions day in and day out, am I going to make the phone call? Am I going to just hurry up into the garage and into the house instead of ignoring my neighbor that I've been wanting to talk to for the last eight months? And he's outside, but I'm busy tonight. When we make those split-second decisions, I wonder, can we re-engage the mindset of connection, of love, and of hope? Can we treasure what Jesus has done through Christmas? And can we begin to ponder and wonder what it would be like to take that even farther. Let's intentionally say yes to the right things, no matter what the cost. 
Christmas was not meant to be a landing point. It was not meant to be a pillow that we find ourselves resting in at the holidays. It was meant to be a catapult. It was meant to be a springboard of take this good message of Jesus and the hope and the love and the joy so much farther. Let's take these attitudes to connect. Let's take this attitude to love and to offer hope. And let's spread it all year long. That's the aftermath of Christmas. That's what we can take farther than just the holiday. As the band comes up, I want us to pray. And I want us to really ponder, God, what do you want me to change? What mindset do you want me to grab a hold of? What do you want to be different as I look beyond Christmas? Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your life. That we can look back at your story and realize that in the midst of the craziness, in the midst of a small family trying to figure everything out, that you were doing some incredible things. God, you were showing your story unveloped from the time that everything started and you announced that Jesus was come all the way through his birth and then some to the promise of who he became and what he's done for us. That we could engage, if, if we don't know you yet, that you've offered that love and hope and message to us. And that if we do know you, Jesus, that you are saying, I want to springboard us now into a life that can actually impact others. That the mindset of Christmas can continue on so much farther and lives could change, hope and love can be known. Will you guide us, Lord? Will you change us from the inside out? And will you show us where to connect and who to love? And it's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.